This podcast is made in association with Wave Motion Canon. You can contact us on Twitter at Warrideshō or email us at warrideshō at gmail.com. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes, like, subscribe, follow and share. everybody welcome to this very special episode of what are we Death show it is i the subtle doctor uh back at the hosting game like i never left and uh i didn't so very good <laughs> um as you may or may not know uh depending on how long your relationship with this podcast has been uh i am old I'm 33 years old, and I am a father of three, but I have a special guest with me today who, I think this is the first time ever on this podcast, we've had someone on who is both older and dadder <laughs> than I. So delighted, so delighted to welcome uh, Ian Harper of the Retro Anime Podcast onto Watery Death Show. Hi, Ian. Hi, Doc. How you doing? Thank you for having me. Oh, it is my pleasure. It is my absolute pleasure, and I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How are how are things uh, across the Atlantic? Yeah, it's good here. We're um, we're enjoying a very fine, sunny, late autumn um, day today. So I think it's going to be um, a really nice weekend, which is good. That is very nice. Excellent. The reason why Ian is here, apart from being such a like affable fellow and a <laughs> enjoyable person to chat up about anime we kind of had the idea suddenly one day to do this podcast about anime and fatherhood this anime dad's club podcast it kind of just hit me uh one day i'm not really sure exactly where the inspiration came from uh I mean, certainly fatherhood is, like, being a dad is a big part of my life, and I know perhaps I was just thinking about talking about anime through through that lens, and, and thankfully, uh, Ian here was, like, all too too glad to, to jump in and uh, help and be a huge part of this, so, uh, again, thank you for being on. Yeah, no problem at all, so, yeah, um... So yeah, you had the the spark of inspiration, and then it sort of bounced ideas, and you know, and fatherhood and anime is a big thing for me because um, I do the retro anime podcast with Lewis, who is my stepson. Um, so um, that was part of the inspiration for for my podcast um, because I'm I'm in my early forties. You know, I I grew up with anime sort of a long time ago um and then i got lewis into mm-hmm. it and lewis is now in his early 20s maybe in his mid-20s actually um he still watches you know and we had the you know the he's the next generation of anime fan and that's where inspiration for our 
um, podcast came from to get that opposing view of you know my rose tinted view on mm-hmm. a lot of the anime that I really liked then and I still like. Um, and it was it was interesting to get you know modern viewers because Lewis watches a lot of modern anime and really he watches more modern anime than he does the old stuff. But he got into it with the old stuff because that was the stuff I was watching with him. You know when when we started watching. So uh, so yeah. So fatherhood and anime was a you know it was a thing that was close to my heart so which is why i really really like the idea um and here we are now talking about it <laughs> for sure um and for those of you out there that lewis is not on the podcast but his presence is all around you if you're listening <laughs> to this he's our sound engineer for this episode today so big shout outs to lewis um yeah uh and so yeah this also i mean i of course am also getting my children into anime I didn't sort of start out with that as like a mission. You know, I wasn't like, all right, it's time to raise my new best friends here or anything <laughs> like that. Uh, I just, you know, I don't know. It's an anime does happen to be a big part of my life and you can only live with someone for so long before they discover that. And Absolutely. I think it was, <laughs> I think I was watching a mecha transformation. I believe it was, I was looking at uh, 80s Voltron on YouTube. And my daughter, who was like three, maybe four at the time, she's seven now, but she, you know, was looking over my shoulder and just is like, wow, (laughs) this is amazing. (laughs) And I was like, you know what? It is. And I let's I let me show you some more stuff. (laughs) And so over the last, you know, three, four years, I have. Uh, shown her and my son like progressively more anime. Uh, they do enjoy it as well, and it's a big part of how we bond. Excellent. Yeah, Lewis. It kind of the, it was the same thing with Lewis looking over my shoulder. So I think back in 2000, it's whenever Mobile Suit Gundam Seed aired. So mm. I was getting fan subs of that, and a few episodes into it, I was watching. Well, I'll tell you what it was. It wasn't on the fan subs. So after it finished airing, when the uh, Hong Kong DVD explosion came out, when all these box right. sets, I bought a DV, Hong Kong DVD box set of Gundam Seed. And then um, I got it, and I started, sat in front of the telly. I started watching the first episode. Lewis came in and watched it, with and sat down and watched it, and, and he really liked it. And then we ended up watching the whole 50 episodes um together and and after that he was really interested in watching more so from there we carried on watching anime together um so that's how that's how lewis um got into anime really but lewis was really into video games at the time you know it's what his job is now is kind of working in the video game industry so um mm. it that was kind of quite a natural sort of progression you know quite an obvious <laughs> peanut butter and jelly yeah, yeah exactly yeah but interestingly my older, uh, my daughter, um, yeah, like she can't stand it. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> uh, much like my wife, she she kind of doesn't she kind of doesn't get it. And even though sometimes I think she's doing it, even though I think when something that's really good that she would really like, she's just determined not to like it. I mean, I I'm very lucky that that my partner uh, enjoys it. Uh, it certainly it was not like a thing that I was after in in a in a significant other um mm-hmm. and when we when we first got together you know she didn't really um 
she hadn't really watched much of it and didn't really have the inclination to, but over the years she's really warmed up to it, uh, which I'm very happy about. Um, oh, that, and obviously, cool. yeah, yeah. And obviously you can hear us talk on our, on our show. Um, but, but we're here to talk about not husbandry. We're just about fatherhood. But I guess before we like, um, get into that there might be some uh folks listening and if you are one of these folks i feel sad for you but (laughs) i don't know don't know uh about about you ian and kind of what uh your anime origin story is and what kind of anime fan you are so uh for the benefit of the folks at home why don't you uh talk about that a bit yeah so um so my background with anime really I got into anime really kind of without realising it. I was always a big sci-fi fan, and when I was a kid, I always liked, you know, I liked Star Wars when it came out. I liked Doctor Who, um, and we had a TV series called Blake Seven, which I'm not sure if you've heard of, but was quite a big sci-fi, quite a cult sci-fi series in the late 70s and early 80s in the UK. Quite an interesting-looking spaceship, um, but the story was really good and. I rewatched it a few about five years ago, and the sets are all wonky and a bit crap. <laughs> but the story, actually, the writing really holds up. Um, oh. But one of the things at that time that really started to get into was I really liked Battle of the Planets, which was one of the Western ad- adaptations of um, Gatchaman. Um, and mm. that must have been about, I think it must have been about 1979, 1980. And I used to really, really like Battle of the Planets. Um, and that's probably what got me onto sci-fi cartoons at that time when I was probably about five or so, five or six. Yeah, it was probably about, yeah, about four, actually. Mm-hmm. And then from that, uh, then came Ulysses 31. Um, absolutely loved that in the early 80s. Um, and then probably a couple of other big things in the in the early 80s. Um, some 70s robot shows got syndicated in the US. It was called Force Five. Yes. Um so get a Robo, get a Robo G, Grendizer UFO, um, UFO Grendizer, some you know, some of those shows. Mm-hmm. And one summer I had a really wet, crappy summer and my mum was taking my brother and I to the video store. The video store had this new range of robot cartoons and it was Star Avengers, which was the adaptation of Get a Robo G and got the first mm-hmm. volume of that and I absolutely loved it yeah i think it was about two episodes a video over the summer i watched all i was i don't know it was about 13 or 14 videos of it and i watched all of them absolutely loved it and then that that became it i became that was it for me and animated robots um <laughs> it just all started with that and i you know I, and i really really liked it and another thing that then came a few years later um was starfleet which is a puppet show it's called X-Bomber in, uh, in Japan. And it's very much in like with um, Thunderbolt Fantasy. It's that kind of thing, but science fiction. Oh, really? Yeah, it's got had a big robot, had a really cool looking ship, had really, really cool baddies in it, had this big robot. And it was all a transforming thing. It had three little um, craft that, tra- you know, combined proper Gatai show, you know. Yes. Um, create this big robot called the, the Diex. Um absolutely love that as well um and i recommend checking that out that's that's it's uh it's a bit clunky now dvd set came out five or six years ago seven 
yeah, quite a while ago. I watched it. It is a bit clunky now, but again, <laughs> the writing and some of the um, images and the baddies in it are really, really good. So, you know, it sounds all, amazing. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly recommend um, checking it out. I mean, if, if you like Thunderbolt Fantasy, then I think you'd like Starfleet. It's. Uh, I mean, we want to cover it on the podcast one day um because mm-hmm. i'd be really interested to see what lewis thinks of it so, uh, <laughs> um but that was really cool i said really good goodies really good characters in it um so there was there was all that so there was all that going on um stuff like you know samurai pizza cat mysterious cities of gold there's all this stuff that i really really liked transformers as well GoBots, um and the, my first thing inkling that it was Japanese was when I went to the uh, Transformers movie um, when it came out of the cinema mm-hmm. in 86 or whenever it was we were at the end watching the credits roll and I was looking at the names <laughs> on it and I was thinking oh they're, they're I, you know, I didn't really know much about Japan or Japanese names or anything like that and we'd gone with some of the kids that all lived in the street where I grew up and there was some I mean, I must have been about 10 or 11 at the time. And there were some kids that were a bit older, maybe 13 or 14, that had come. We'd all gone in to see it. I remember looking at the names saying, oh, they're odd names. And one of them goes, oh, they're all Japanese. And I was like, oh, really? And, you know, mm. that was my first, the, the first uh, inkling I got that this stuff was, you know, had some Japanese. And then that carried on. I didn't really do much more about it. And then when Akira got released by Manga Entertainment, a friend of mine, Richard Orty, whose um, older brother, um, did uh, we, we ran a fanzine together, horror fanzine, um, and they got into anime, and um, they bought Akira. And we remember watching it um, with him. And then, and then there was just like this, you know, the penny dropped. Um, mm. It was like, oh, so this is anime. This all the, all this stuff that I like, it's <laughs> Japanese. It's you know, it's this thing anime, um, and that was it. From from there on, that was that kind of, um, that was it. That was my fan, you know, my anime fandom cemented then. And then as all this, you know, all the stuff came out during the uh, early to mid nineties and carried on, and it just kind of it just kind of grew from there really. And you know, even now. You could almost say close to forty years on from when I first watched Battle of the Planets, um, I'm I'm still as big a fan of it as I was when I was a fan of Battle of the Planets when I was, you know, four years old. That's so great, by the way, to to hear. Um, you know, they say that the average lifespan of the of anime fandom is about two years. Yeah, uh, I hear that. Yeah, and I, I think that that is. I feel like maybe that I don't know. Perhaps I'm in a bubble, but sometimes I feel like that should be remeasured. Uh, but I guess like I don't interact with too many. Um, like if you're on Twitter talking about anime, perhaps you're above the sort of level of casual fan that is the majority yeah. of the fans that they measure. Yeah. Um, that perhaps go to a couple cons and then are out. But um, but that's. So, so many things I think are interesting about your story, but first of all, I just want to say thank you for not shitting on GoBots. <laughs> there are so, like, all my friends in college were like, 
you have to pick one, Transformers or GoBots, oh, and they were really? all Transformers people, and I just said, like, why are you doing that? Like, why do you, why less robots? Why not more robots? Yeah, GoBots um, was aired on um, Saturday morning TV, um, there, so there was like a, a children's program, and it was like a, and they always used to have various cartoons on it during the day, and it, you know, they had kids on doing competitions and that sort of thing. And they used to show GoBots on a Saturday morning at half seven. Uh, in the, and I used to get up at like 20 to seven and go yes. downstairs before I had a telly in my bedroom and everything. You know, I used to get up early on a Saturday morning so I could sit in front of the telly and watch GoBots when the rest of the house was fast asleep. You know, that's, yeah, I mean, I was into GoBots, uh, as much into GoBots as I was Transformers at the time, really. We, uh, for whatever reason... I, I had more exposure to GoBots. Perhaps it aired in a friendlier time slot. Oh, right, okay. Um, I had more of the toys um, and more of the VHSs oh, right, uh, okay. of GoBots. And years later, I would learn, you know, that it was, like, a, I, I don't know if... It was like the poor relations. Or spin-off of um, Machine yeah. Robo. Yeah. Um, which is kind of an incredible show <laughs> that yeah i've never seen it i've Revenge never gone back and revisited it yeah I, I keep meaning to um to go back and revisit it but I've, I've, I've never got around to it uh i i think you'd really like it there are definitely some janky parts yeah um but but it has i think it will take a lot of your boxes yeah okay i'll definitely have to go and look that look that up and a thing that is different about my story than yours is that um you, it seems like in in your case, like you liked a lot of different anime without knowing it, and then one day you discovered the concept and were able to were able to then say, okay, I can now draw a circle around all these things that yes. I like, and this is the unifying concept. Yes, absolutely, you know, spot on. Yeah, that um, you know, this is what anime connotes, right? And so yeah. for for me, um. It was a little different. I wasn't exposed to a lot of anime. I think my first ones, and you know, people will debate about whether or not these are actually anime. <laughs> uh, at least one of them they'll debate uh, with Voltron. I already mentioned mm-hmm. uh, the '80s adaptation of Go Lion. Um, I was really into that when I was like three, four, five years old. Loved it to death. Thought it was the most amazing thing. I watch those VHS tapes till they <laughs> popped. Uh, it was it was a glorious thing. Uh, and I believe that it came on television when I was a couple years older, like seven, eight, um, with Gigantor, the adaptation uh-huh. of, of Tetsujin uh, 28. 28. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And apparently the, <laughs> the Gigantor cartoon adapts the worst iteration of oh, Tetsujin really? 28 like the it's the skinny Tetsujin right so not like the the cool like bulky one that is in Yasuhiro Imagawa's uh, and the original yeah but anyway I digress so I I really liked Gigantor uh a lot and but but I still uh wasn't aware that that these cartoons came from a different place mm-hmm. or that there was that there was anything different informing kind of the spirit of them and what they were. And I just thought these are some exceptional cartoons. But then one fine day when I was about 14 years old, 
my family was out doing something and I was uh, home by myself. And this is back when we did things, uh, kids called flip channels on the television. <laughs> yeah. Right. This is a, a phenomenon that doesn't really occur in modern households, but uh, I was looking around for something to watch and I stumbled across Dragon Ball Z uh, on, right. on Toonami on the Cartoon Network and was immediately captivated. I've told, I've told this part of the story before, so I'll try to keep it brief, but uh, I just loved everything about Dragon Ball Z and was, you know, at the, the age at that point to kind of tell by the art, the movement, and also the, the writing and kind of the storytelling in the, in the show that there was wow. something different happening here. And I needed to figure out what it was, and I needed more Dragon Ball, more importantly. Uh-huh. And so I went to the library shortly after to to research this. And and this is back when in the days of dial-up, you know, the 90s. Uh-huh. And <laughs> dark days, dark days. No, it's very dark days. Images loading for <laughs> for minutes. Um, but I. I stumbled across what looked like Dragon Ball Z characters with blonde hair. And I was like, who are these people? Because in the story, the Super Saiyan phenomena hadn't occurred. And, right. and I came to find out this show had already aired completely. It was hundreds of episodes. It was this thing called anime in Japan. And just this whole glut of information was already out there about mm-hmm. it. And I consumed it very quickly and said like to myself, this is anime, huh? Like, I want more anime. And Cartoon Network was all too happy to feed more anime to me. <laughs> and from there on, I started to, when I got money from jobs, uh, would would purchase anime and uh, looked for ways to like be involved in fan communities, made websites. Like, my fandom oh, grew and grew. And, you know, the rest, as they say, is history. Yeah, so it's a similar thing. So... I had the, the the same sort of thing in that these cartoons that I watched, like Battle of the Planets, Ulysses, Star Avengers, even Samurai Pizza Cat, which I know fundamentally changed a lot of the story, but there was just there was something different about it. And even with Starfleet, so I quite liked. Well, I so I quite liked. I mean, I was never quite a big fan of Thunderbirds, but I quite liked Stingray, and there was a thing called Terror Hawks, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with but it, um i'm not it, i do know should is going to be mad that you threw thunderbirds under the bus yeah I'm, <laughs> I'm not, i didn't dislike it it wasn't i used to watch it but it wasn't my favorite puppet show i so i did i did used to prefer stingray and then there was this very sort of hard sci-fi one called terror hawks which again had great great characters and great design and great baddies in it um some really nice ideas but starfleet was there was just something really different about it it was a bit darker there was more, I don't know, there was more peril in it, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. There's, mm-hmm, compared mm-hmm. to, like, the Western ones, which, I mean, there was some peril, but it was never, it was never really, really dramatic. Whereas Starfleet had some quite, almost, I'd almost say sinister story mm-hmm. elements to it, you know. Um, and, and yeah, everything was just different, you know. Um, I remember, we remember with Mysterious Cities of Gold, the way the story flowed from episode to episode... Um, you know, it had, there was this big arc that ran through it, which was really, and almost like Ulysses as well. There's episodic 
stories, but there's a big arc. And that was very different to mm -hmm. stuff like Masters of the Universe and other things, which were just episode by episode stories. You know, there was no there was no overriding arc that drove the, the narrative of the whole the whole series. Um, right. And there was and I, I didn't really appreciate it at the time. And when I look. You know, because I was um, when I was I was about fifteen when I watched Akira, and when I got and then in the immediate sort of gold rush of anime that came out in the preceding years and understood this stuff, then it was like, yeah, I understand why I liked all this stuff back in the, you know, through the eighties, really. Because mm -hmm. um, even even Transformers the movie, you know, I think had has some dark elements, and it was just it was just different. Oh, for sure. You know, it was just very very different. Um, you know, the whole Unicron, you know, again, this had fairly sinister and Galvatron and Megatron, you know, they're really nasty characters. They are. Um, they killed Optimus Prime. Prime yes. <laughs> Spoilers. Sorry. Um, which, which you just didn't, again, I know it was West, a lot of these things like Ulysses and that were, were Western written, but, and, and animated by the, the Japanese, but the, something in the collaboration there was just, just made them different. You know, they looked different. The, the stories were different mm -hmm. um so yeah and and it was just that about it which which drew me to it and you know and it and it wasn't a coincidence that all these things were were essentially anime you know um and then when i discovered discovered it what it really was then um yeah it just like i said the penny dropped and it all made sense so uh um but it just it i said it cemented it because i mean i still i watch anime every day even if it's one episode of a TV show, I watch something mm -hmm. every day. So it's probably it is my oldest hobby, really, in it, and I think it always will be right up until I, you know, until I'm dribbling in front of a TV, having a nurse <laughs> feed my dinner to me, you know. <laughs> Put robots on the TV, you know. <laughs> Do it now. Do it now. I want some Gundam. <laughs> I may be 91 and shit my pants, but I still want Gundam on the TV. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Oh man, I that is heartening. That is heartening to hear, and I feel the same way. Um, cool. So, are there are there any anime in particular that you don't care for? I mean, this is you know oh. maybe oftentimes more defining about the kind of anime fan we are than what we like. Yeah, I typically. I mean, I'm quite a big fan of a lot of genres, but one of the things that I didn't, to be honest, I was always, I was always into sci-fi. I'm a big sci-fi fan. I really like robots. You know, most of the anime that came out during the 90s on VHS was typically, you know, it was geared up for, not for kids. Um, yeah. Yes. You know, so it was sort of violent sci-fi action stuff, um, or it was quite, you know, pornographic, really. And then... During the um, early 2000s, when that Yaoi explosion came, and then you got all the harem, uh, harem anime, that sort of thing, I really, I that I really didn't care for. Um, mm. I don't mind fan service, you know. I, you know, some fan service things I quite enjoy, you know, like Agent Acre. I think that's quite an entertaining fan service <laughs> show, you know. Mm -hmm. And even when I was watching Gundam Seed back in the early 2000s, um, I can't remember her right. name, but the captain of the uh, of the ship, you know, I mean, she had, you know, absolutely perfect Masami Obari um, boob jiggle. Um, 
you know, and it was just there. And I, th- I always thought that was quite funny, you know, and quite entertaining. Uh-huh. So, I've, you know, it's not that I was opposed to it, but some of that really, I don't know, ostentatious stuff and the, the harem, I just, yeah, that that as a genre of anime, I didn't care for. I quite like Slice of Life, but I think there's a quite a fine balance between what's Slice of Life and what's just sort of gratuitous harem oh, yes. fan service sure. anime. So, um that that as a genre i don't um i don't really i don't really enjoy yeah um i think so for myself there was uh, a time when like after i had been a fan for a while and i sort of discovered um some voices in the fan community that i quite liked mm-hmm. um i kind of became uh, a bit of an elitist about uh, <laughs> what shows I did and didn't watch um, and would, thought that fans that would not go back and watch older shows were kind of lesser fans. It's a really shitty thing to, to think and say, but, I mean, I was in my yeah. you know, late teens, early 20s. Like, what are you going to do? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I watched a, a bunch of mecha you know, I thought it was a point of pride that I was, you know, watching Space Runaway Ideon when other mm-hmm. people were watching, like, Lucky Star or some uh-huh. shit, yeah. right? Um, and Lucky Star's not shit. This is <laughs> just what I was thinking. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know. Um, I went on like that for a while. I even abandoned my first love, Dragon Ball. You know, I oh, thought really? I was, yeah, I thought I was too cool for for shonen action shows um that they were too predictable too trite not enough happening uh not enough uh at stake mm-hmm. uh the character depth wasn't wasn't there and all those things i mean you could probably still make an argument for but i don't know uh as i grew older and quite frankly lightened up <laughs> uh and just kind of became uh less of a you know early 20s uh they started to open up uh what consumed and found that there was some uh, there was a lot there free in a lot of genres that i had you know ignored things based on visual novels and light novels uh there are some stories i quite like there and there are some bad things there just like there are bad robot shows oh i went back to to shonen action shows this has been a recent thing that and i found i rediscovered my love for those things and so i think as as the year has gone on begun like not dismissing genre out of hand um just because a show comes from a certain genre but and so in in recent years i've even gotten back into shonen battle anime rediscovered what i love about that and yeah i've just i don't know been much more open not really dismissing too many genres out of hand uh-huh. these days um just because they are are that i've uh i've i've learned that um i don't know it's i just find it a better posture to to be about enjoying things and look for things to enjoy rather than kind of being uh having a defining feature of my fandom being what i don't like yeah, I know what you mean, because I, I, I had a similar epiphany four or five years ago, because um, I was all about robots and sci-fi, but I was predominantly about robots, and once um, 
you know, once the sort of DVD and the, the fan sub, the digital fan sub thing sort of exploded and, you know, all these fan subbing groups started, you know, fan subbing Idion and, you know, all the old Gundam shows and Bowtomes mm-hmm. and all that other stuff. And then I just, and as I mentioned on our latest podcast, um, I had this, I got this book in the early 2000s, it's called the Super Robot Chronicles, which um, listed every, every TV series, OVA movie that was mecha related. Wow. And, um, I spent a lot of time translating names and, and stuff. And, and even I ended up working my way through that book and there's a load of stuff, which I've seen raw because someone didn't necessarily fan sub it, but they right. put the Japanese DVD, a raw of it on, put it, you know, put a rip out there. So even mm-hmm. if I didn't watch it, know what's going on. I watched all this stuff, even if it's raw, just so I could say, I've seen that. I would say, you know, from the late seventies to the early nineties, I've seen like 90% of ro- all the robot anime that was produced. That's um, incredible. Um, but I kind of got a thing. I, I got the same thing probably about 10 years ago, up, maybe up to about 2010, 11, where I, you know, I have to admit, I, I became a bit guilty of that. I'd seen so much of it. I became a little bit elitist about robot anime um, mm-hmm. because I'd seen all this stuff. I had these books. I was I had a subscription to New Type at the time, which was putting a lot of stuff out. And, uh, yeah, and, you know, I got wrapped up, and I was only, and I was just purely watching either sci-fi. I was watching probably, like, 70% robot anime, and then maybe 25% was science fiction, and the last five was stuff like Ghibli films. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I kind of, I watched, because I really liked, because um, I really like Iso Takahata and I really like his films. He's, you know, he's my preferred Ghibli director. Um, when uh, there was a rip of uh, Heidi, the Blu-ray of Heidi, uh, Girl of the Alps, if you came out. And I watched that and that opened my eyes. I really, really liked it. It was a great story. These amazing characters, this beautiful world that was created in, you know, in early 70s animation. And and from that, I was just like, yeah, I, I really need to broaden my horizons more. And, you mm-hmm. know, and slice of life stuff, which Heidi is essentially. Um, I had kind of liked that before because I'd seen um, Only Yesterday, which is my only Ghibli film, a long time ago. And I love that, you know, I love that story. And even like Pat Labor, which is essentially a slice of life film, but has robots in it. Um, mm-hmm. I always liked that type of thing. And then, and so I've opened myself up more to watching other other stuff um and broadening my my viewing horizon like massively uh in the last five years i think it was bakemonogatari that did it for me a few years ago that was like the first crack in the in the facade <laughs> in the armor, like yeah. wow like this is ostensibly a harem show but it is one of the best uh anime I've ever seen in terms of cinematography and dialogue. Yeah. And here it is, this this show that is super duper otaku kind of targeted and focused. Yeah. But it was still this really impeccable thing. So that's what started that for me. So uh, during this this time, Ian, uh, when you're, you know, consuming robot shows, you have your awesome super robot book are you are you trying to steer lewis to into super robot fandom i mean he didn't really have much say in it at the time because (laughs) (laughs) he was just he he was just watching what i was watching so (laughs) you know so he went through 
we watched Gundam Seed, and then we watched stuff like, um, you know, I, I put him through Evangelion when he was about eleven, and it didn't seem to traumatize him. So, um, but wow. then yeah, working through all working through all the the Gundams, Zeta, Victory, Double Zeta, um, G Gundam, which he really liked. He really enjoyed mm-hmm. that. Um, and then some of the other stuff that was coming out at the time, um, Argento Soma, I remember getting, um, you know, a lot of that sort of late 90s, um, stuff like Brain Powered, uh, that sort of late 90s, early 2000s anime that was coming out, um, was getting released. So we watched a lot of stuff of that, watched the Ghibli films, and he liked those. So, you know, and then I took him to the cinema to see the Ghibli after Spirit, you know, the whole Spirited Away explosion. Yes. And the world you know, discovered what who uh, <laughs> Miyazaki was and what who Studio Ghibli was were and everything. And we started to get similar cinema releases of those films. Then I started to take him to those and and everything as well. So yeah, his his fandom really I mean he liked it. He liked I Eminem. Mean, he thought much in the same way as your daughter watching the uh that transformation sequence. He just thought it all looked really cool. Which is kind of what you know, when I was a kid, this stuff just looked really cool. You know. Yes. At, when I was you know seven seven or eight or whatever i didn't really care much for the story but the story was interesting but this stuff looked really cool you mm-hmm. know um and that and for me one of the things that got me into that was what i really liked about it is you know this thing that if you can draw it then you then it can be become something mm. and especially you know if you looked at science fiction films you know because effects were quite bad and you know uh, superimposition was bad so you, you couldn't always you, you know you, you couldn't always believe that this stuff was real because there was that, right. that level, sort of layer that told you it was fake yeah but with animation because it's all animated and it's all on the same layer effectively mm-hmm. you know, everything looks integrated as part of that world and so the world of big robots and everything else seems more believable as animation if, if that makes sense, you know, it's, yes. it's all animated. You can create it and, and whatever you can, if you can draw it, then it becomes something and it becomes part of that story and it becomes, you know, something to, you know, like the robots to really get into and, you know, sort of, sort of drool over and, and it becomes mm-hmm. an integrated part of that story without it ever having that layer of separation where it looks fake because of the you, character, um... you know, the characters are animated, the backgrounds are animated, the robots are animated. Um, and Lewis, you know it was the same thing for him you know this stuff just looks cool and it looks (laughs) the same you know and it's not like a bad cg or a bad superimposed film as you know as much as i like the original um richard donner superman films when you watch them now you can so tell that superman lois lane are superimposed in front of a screen you know (laughs) there's just no getting away about it that was the technology at the time so it has that that layer of disbelief or that layer of suspension into what's really real. But when you watch something that's animated, you know, it's, it's removed. Um, and that's what I still like about it. You know, um, you know, effects have, have got better, but you know, there's something about the uh, inhibition with animation and what you can, cre- you can create with animation. But then as Lewis got older and, you know, as he got into his sort of mid teens and everything, and, you know, he kind of got his own computer and, and, and all that, then, you know, he started to watch his own the stuff, his own anime and the stuff that he liked. You know, and Lewis is much more into, really, is into more into the sort of slice of life type stuff. You know, and that's the, mm-hmm. you know, the kind of stuff that he watches now. And so, you know, over over that time, 
you know, I've, I've really stuck with robots and sci-fi, but I've broadened it a little bit, but fundamentally I'm a robot man. Um, <laughs> but Lewis has diverged and, and he's founded the, his own sort of niche and the stuff that, you know, that he likes um, for himself. And, and he carries, you know, and he carries on watching that, which is why our discussions on our podcast are quite interesting, you know, because yeah. they have very, very different different viewpoints on, on that anime. Um, we'll touch on a couple things. One... G Gundam, of course your son like G Gundam. Everyone should like G Gundam. Everyone should you, like G Gundam. If you don't like G Gundam, stop listening to this podcast. <laughs> we don't need you. You can go. You can go away. Uh, Absolutely. G Gundam is <laughs> uh, is such an underrated and overlooked show. Um, it frustrates me, especially I think when it, I think it was worse years ago. I think. Now there are, at least I see, uh, a few voices that pretty regularly espouse the show's virtues. But back when it first aired on on TV here, uh, after the Gundam Wing explosion, uh-huh. yeah. it was so different than what people wanted. It was yeah. kind of rejected out of hand initially. Yeah, because I bought those twelve individual Bandai uh, Entertainment. Uh, volumes um and i've still got them yeah. now though I, they need to go to uh be replaced by blu-rays next year um, yes but you know it's such I've, I've i've seen g gundam three times um since i bought those i've watched those dv that dvd set three times i absolutely love it and um i can't wait to get it on blu-ray because i did watch the um some rips of the japanese set when it came out mm. last year you know and it it's a very well animated show i think i, I really mm-hmm. do think it's it looks really good and, it, and again, it just looks gorgeous in Blu-ray. You know, HD just really accentuates oh. um, the detail and the, you know, the clarity in that in that animation. So I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to it. Um, yeah, I can't wait to see all those. That's a very colorful show. Yeah, so I absolutely. can't wait to see all those colors really bright in, in Blu-ray. And I guess this sort of relates to another point I just wanted to briefly touch on that you, you talked about animation and why you prefer it oftentimes to effects and and how it's more believable. And that really struck a chord with me because uh, I feel the same way. I, I think when you are watching animation, like obviously it doesn't look real in the same way that, you know, our own reality yeah, sure. does, but you, but you feel like, like the cohesion there, like you said, everything being kind of of a piece, you feel like you, maybe you're getting a window, I think, into another world. Yeah, absolutely. And ver- versus another thing that might be trying to imitate that, and yes. you can just tell that it's trying to yeah, imitate Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that, yeah, that, that sentiment. That's, that's exactly, you, you're exactly right. But, uh, so my own kids and their fandoms, so they're, of course, much, much younger than, than your set. You know, I've got uh, a two-year-old, a five-year-old and a seven-year-old and so they are (laughs) it is it is controlled chaos at the best of times in my home uh (laughs) but they are early in their fandom and they are you know they're still at the age where i can't kind of expose them to a lot of things like like i wouldn't i wouldn't unleash evangelion uh (laughs) just yet or (laughs) <laughs> yeah, not not yet, or or even certain parts of 
things like Dragon Ball or mm-hmm. Rurouni Kenshin, yeah, things yeah. that I do want them to see later, yeah. and they actually already like Dragon Ball because they've they've caught me watching it enough times to yeah. think it's cool. But so the things that they have seen are they have seen a couple of kind of sports shows, right? Yeah, that, that target the younger younger demographic, mm-hmm. like. One of the first things they watched was a show called Tribe Cool Crew, which is about uh, a breakdance group. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, it's really um, – it's neat. Um, I wish that they that they hand-drew the dancing um, right. because e- everything is kind of um, – looks like sort of normal computer-assisted 2D yeah. animation yeah, I know what un- you mean. until yeah. – uh, until, but until they do the dance numbers in which it switches to full 3D yeah. models, and uh, I guess so that they can ha- be more dexterous, but um, but I wish it was drawn. And they've watched a fair bit of um, Inazuma Eleven. Oh right, yeah, um, yeah. Which is I think much more internationally popular than yeah, I. Yeah, it's quite. It imagined. was quite big. It got quite a big release um, over here. It was. Um, I mean, you could even go to the um, supermarket and buy uh, Inazuma Eleven DVDs. Yeah, it got quite. That was a relatively, re- relatively big uh, breakout hit here, I'd say. And understandably so. I think um, culturally, it probably speaks to you guys much more than it would speak to America, which is a sad thing <laughs> that I need not get into bemoaning here because we're heathens that don't appreciate football. Yeah, football um, not. That's it. You got it right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But so that, yeah, did that that aired on TV there, right? Did it yeah, air on yeah, the Cartoon aired, Network yeah, over yeah, there? That's so exciting. Yeah, it did. It did air on the Cartoon Network over here. Yeah. Yeah, we're we're actually watching that English dub of it. Uh, someone has has done some rips and with all the name changes and everything. All right, cool. <laughs> but uh, but they really like that, and they have seen some robot shows too. I actually showed them all of Galgaigar earlier oh, this right. year. Oh, excellent! Yeah, and good. they they love Galgaigar, absolutely loved it. They thought it was fantastic. They liked it so much that um, they for Christmas last year. So maybe I did I show it to them this year? Maybe it was last year, because for a gift they got me a Galgaigar um model. Oh, cool. Uh, just because they wanted to again this is this is how we we bond right we all think the robots are so cool and we kind of gush about it and then my daughter who who has just her imagination is is really great she'll so many times <laughs> say daddy let's be characters from gal gagar <laughs> I'll be guy uh, and I'm like, awesome. you took the best really character <laughs> yeah she's the best but but they are uh they're definitely i think off and running yeah um you know they like things like pokemon as well um so a lot of the the kid shows an, uh of anime and things targeted to their demo they really really like yeah and so i am i'm curious about how it will go when we transition away from you yes, know the to- from, the yeah. Totoros and the Pokemons into yeah. more mature fare, yeah, um, it'll be interesting. Because Lewis Lewis really got into the Pokemon, um, you know, in the yeah probably ten or so years ago. Um, 
and he and he's still a big Pokemon fan now. You know, he still buys all the games for his DS, um, uh, 3DS, and and everything. You know, and still has Pokemon games. He's got a Switch, and um, you know, he's got the Pokemon <laughs> games on that. So he's still he's still um, really into into that. Um, but like I say, Lewis Lewis was a bit of the exception to the rule, really, because like I said, my daughter, who's um, I mean, she's 32. Um, I mean, she just never kind of, she just never liked it. She just thought it was ridiculous. Um, <laughs> and I remember um, many years ago, um, Manga Entertainment in the UK released a, a Fist of the North Star box set, which I think had the first 36 episodes of the TV series on it. Mm-hmm. And my wife I, bought me that for Christmas. And I remember over, you know, it was like Boxing Day or the day after, and I, I started watching it. And like Hannah was like, oh, she goes, oh, what's she, she? She saw it when I opened it, and she goes, oh, is that more anime? So I think I said, yeah, this is, this is legendary. This is Fist of the North Star, and um, and I was watching it, and she watched about half an episode, like half of the first episode, and watched uh, Kenshiro, you know, punch someone and watch them explode, and she goes, this is just, she goes, this is fucking ridiculous, Dad, you know, <laughs> and it was like, no, this is this is Fist of the North Star. This is like. <laughs> This is this is kind of as good as it gets, you know. And she goes, she goes, if this is as good as it gets, then the rest of it must be really shit. And I was like, you know, and it's just like I've I've never won, you know. And she was in a, you know, she must have been in a, um, she was probably about twenty or so in her very late teens, maybe eighteen, nineteen or so when we did that. And yeah, she's just she's just never been a fan, and she's never got it. And um, like her first husband, um, I got him into anime. Um, because I remember we were talking about it, and I said I said something about Akira, and he said, oh, "I've never seen that." I said, "Oh, you've never seen Akira?" So we watched, got the Blu-ray out, watched Akira, and he was he was quite impressed with it. Um, and I think the following Christmas, um, we have Channel Four, which is a UK TV um, UK TV station. They have um, a film channel called Film Four, and Film Four did a season of Ghibli movies. And uh, Luke went and watched a lot of these, um, and he really liked Grave of the Fireflies because I said to him, "Grave of the Fireflies, regardless of it being anime or live action, it's just one of my favourite films." Full stop. Um, much like Only Yesterday, regardless of it being an anime film or not, I just think it is a great film. Mm-hmm. Um, and he watched Grave of the Fireflies, and he really, really liked it uh, more so than he liked. Um, Akira, he he really kind of liked, you know, the, the you know the portrayal and the emotion and and everything, suffering. the suffering, <laughs> you know. Um, and he tried to get Hannah to watch it, and she was like, "No, I'm not watching it." You know, she was, and I and I don't know whether she's sometimes just a bit, um, she's kind of just a bit anti it, and she's a bit stubborn about it. Um, I don't know, but yeah, I've never I've never won her over. Um, <laughs> and then George, who's my youngest son, who's thirteen. Um, he, you know, he sometimes, he's not a great fan and I've never really, he's not really got into it, but to be honest, he's never watched cartoons. Um, Ah. even when he was really little, he'd watch stuff like, um, Victorious and, um, what's the, uh, I can't remember what it's called now. There's another kid. It's got two girls in it, a dark-haired girl and a blonde girl. And his name 
the name of the show has escaped me completely. Um, but he liked, um, but he liked live action, even as a little, you know, when he was really young, he would mm-hmm. watch, you know, live action TV, kids TV, rather than cartoons. Um, so he's never really kind of been bothered about anime, even though sometimes I'll be watching it and he'll sit down um, and he'll watch a little bit of it with me. Um, and I think he and he accepts that like the robot stuff and some of the sci-fi stuff does look really cool. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we watched. Um, he got quite into Tiger and Bunny, actually. He quite oh, liked cool. that, the superheroes the superhero element of that, because he's, he's really into the superhero, you know, the Marvel, especially the Marvel stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, he really likes, he's always really liked Spider-Man. He's always been a really big Spider-Man fan. And in fact, that's probably the only, there was a CG Spider-Man series that came out probably eight to ten years ago that he really liked. He watched that over and over again. That's probably one of the only cartoons that he's really liked. I remember that. Um everything else he's never really been bothered about. So he likes the Marvel superhero films and he liked Tiger and Bunny. And like I said, I think he liked that because of the, the, the superhero element of it. Um, he quite, he, he wouldn't, what he didn't watch all of it in the end, but he watched, I would say probably three quarters of that, which is the most anime um, he, he's watched. <laughs> um, but interestingly what he, and I don't know whether it's an influence of that, but what he does like is, is the Hong Kong stuff. He likes Jackie Chan films you know, he likes, now he's kind of become a teenager, he likes um, stuff like Police Story um, and mm. all those sort of Hong Kong action films and Chinese action films. So that, so even though he's not an anime fan, he is a fan of Asian cinema, action cinema. Because um, Netflix has like got loads and loads of those sort of badly dubbed, you know, kung fu films. Mm-hmm. Um, and he loves watching all that sort of stuff. So... <clears throat> Even though it is an anime, I think maybe the the Asian influence in the house has has rubbed off in him in <laughs> in that respect. You know. Sure. Sure. I think my my youngest might be more of a Tokusatsu person right now. Yeah. Even th- yeah. even though uh, he you know thinks robots look cool. You know he likes Galgagar and everything. Yeah. He he wants to watch. Power Rangers, and there's a there's a Korean uh, CG Tokusatsu show called Mini Force that's on Netflix over here. Oh, he, okay. He loves to watch. He's seen it. There's only ten episodes, but it, he's seen them like a, a dozen times. I have to say, uh, yeah, go on. Oh, he just likes the juxtaposition of cool robots with. Um, cute animals, which is what they are turned into under normal circumstances when they're not fighting bad yeah. guys. They are like little kittens and stuff. <laughs> yeah, because George, as I say, Power Rangers. Now you say it, George. George loves Power Rangers. Um, you know, again, this this sort of superhero live action thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he really liked that. I mean, we've got. I ended up buying quite a few Power Ranger sets on DVD so that he could watch them over and over again. Um, yeah, he was. Yeah, that's that's another thing. Yeah, he does so. Yeah, other Tokusatsu stuff might appeal to him as well. There's there's an in for for anime there. I feel like there's yeah. some crossover. I agree. Uh, yeah, to be sure. But uh, but Ian, did you now want to look at maybe 
uh, we'll transition from our own fatherhood and yes. anime to looking at fatherhood in anime Absolutely. and how kind of the different spectrum of dads are portrayed in in anime. We've got an outline here of a few different kind of um, broad categories that they fall into that you came up with that yeah. I quite like. So yeah, so um, yeah, so I, I broke it down into into four categories. Um, the first one is your sort of portrayal of the typical salary man father in anime, which I think is something which comes up, which you see just quite often in the background mm-hmm. in, a, in a lot of shows. And I always think a good example of this is um, My Neighbours the Amadas, which is, you know, which is just, and again, it's Takahata is best, really. It's just that daily portrayal of, of family life. And I love the way it's in that sort of watercolour, but... If you look at the dad in that, um, and I think he really personifies, I think, what the projection of fatherhood in Japan is like to the West. Um, mm. You know, he, you know, he's a salary man. He goes to work every day, works long hours. He comes home. He sits. He sits down at the table. His dinner's presented to him, and then he sits there smoking, eating dinner, watching baseball on the TV, which is two foot <laughs> away from him. You know. And that portrayal of a typical father, um, I think you see that quite a lot in anime. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think it's quite a common thing. And and the fact that a Japanese has animated that and done that portrayal, because, you know, because that film is for a Japanese audience. It wasn't, you know, especially when it was created in the mid 90s or whenever, or late 90s, whenever it was. You know, it, the, the Japanese explosion thing hadn't really or the anime thing so you know it was for a it was for a, a japanese audience so i i i often take that as to to tell me that that must be a a good representation of japanese family typical japanese family life and what a typical um fatherhood is you know and if you watch programs about japan you know and if you look if you, if you look stuff up about saruman you know um the saruman thing is you know, it's a way of life for a lot of Japanese men. Mm-hmm. It's true. It's true. And, you know, it's funny when I was trying to think of some examples of this, it, I think it was difficult for me, not because that the, the type isn't common, but it's difficult for me because they're just so often not involved in the story Yes. in any way when the, the stories are so often about younger people. Yeah. And, even even stories that are grounded and about home life, like uh, I think Sound Euphonium, the mm-hmm. uh, Kyoto animation show about a high school band, uh, that ran two seasons, and I think the father might have only been briefly in one season. Uh-huh. She has a lot, and she's at home quite a, a bit, uh, talking to her sister, talking to her mother, but the father is just kind of off he's talked much more about than he is actually on screen yeah and i think with my neighbors the amadas again you he's he's dad in that is a central character but he's almost at the same time a background character you know and in a lot of these shows you know the the salary man father figure is a background figure in in the family you know the, the mother is the one which typically more stay at home and has the interaction with the children um and it's yeah and that 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 does seem to be a really common 
portrayal and you, you see it in a lot of anime and I think what you've described there about Sandy Euphorium is is something which you do see um, repeatedly so the other one I had in terms of the uh, typical Man father is um, I don't know if you've seen the um, the, the, the 90s Guyver OVA I have not no. I've heard much about it yeah so I've that was um, that's a big a big favourite of mine I, I mean I mm-hmm. it came out in in like 95 it got released on 12 individual half hour cassettes and i you know i absolutely i absolutely love that but um fumio fukumachi which is uh show fukumachi who who's the who becomes the guy there um you know he's again and and this is another thing which i think you you see a lot in anime is the um widowed father you know the mother is has yes. passed away and there's a widowed father looking after the typically the one child and that's a that's another again I don't know if that's a trope which just appears in anime or that's you know I don't know where that comes from in anime right. but it's it's a it's something you see repeatedly um and it's and it's something else, I'll come on to another anime shortly which which has this so you know Fumio Fukumachi is a you know he's a salaryman father bringing up his teenage son and uh you know, ultimately gets bumped off by a, a, a zoonoid that's trying to get his son, <laughs> who is the Giver. You know, um, but again, it's it's it was another one that just sort of sprung to mind of this kind of background, Sally Roman father. So it's it's mm. a really common um, common portrayal. Which uh, you know, if anyone out there who's listening to this knows kind of where those things come from, I would you know I would love to know. Yeah. For sure. Um, there's a show that when you were talking about the, the single father raising the child, of course, the the first thing that jumps to my mind is the most recent show I've seen like that. And it's last year's show, uh, Sweetness and Lightning. Oh, yeah. Which is a cooking show. Uh, but uh, but it's also about a single father who and, and this jumped out at me very much when I was watching uh, in many ways, he's, he's taken care of by his tiny daughter who's mm-hmm. in a kindergarten or possibly even younger. She might be in preschool. Um, <clears throat> and at first, when I saw this, I thought there's, this is just so unrealistic and idealized. You have yeah. this four year old doing laundry and helping her father kind of get ready for his work day because He's so exhausted from working to keep to keep yeah. the family afloat. But um, after speaking to uh, my Wave Motion Canon colleague Jared, who spent a few years in Japan teaching, uh, he said that's actually quite an accurate portrayal oh, really? um, and common, and it's part of their their schooling in like preschool and, and at a young age they they learn to do household things because oh, really? I guess that's it's really so. Interesting. Yeah, I think because because they just the the mindset there maybe is more kind of like that they need to do their part. Yeah. Uh, for yeah, their really for their families. Because that um, segues into the Nixon. Because the Nixon on, on my list was to talk about good fathers in anime. One of the things that leads me to um, is an anime called um, Capetta, which is about. Um, a dad and his son, and his son starts karting and then, you know, ultimately becomes a Formula One driver. And the reason that, there was a couple of things about that, um, and it definitely to what you, the anime you've just described, um, in that 
Capetta lives with his dad, who's widowed. His mum died when he was a young age, and Capetta um, essentially looks after his dad. He cooks his meals when he comes in. He does all the, you know, the laundry and everything, um, exactly as you've just described. But Capetta's dad, um, Shigio, you know, he works. He works for a, a tarmacking company, you know, fixing roads. He works long hours. He comes in, you know. Smoke, watches smoke, watches the ba- has a smoke, watches the baseball, falls asleep in front of it. Um, you know, it has that has again those same sort of tropes which we've just been talking about in that that representation of a typical uh, father in in anime. Um, but he recognises his son. You know, really likes sort of racing cars and and everything. Um, and he then they go to a track and they you know he watches Capetta watching his carts and he see how much he likes it. So he then gets this scrap cart and builds it for him and, and ends up getting him into carting. And he does, you know, he does everything he can for his son, you know, mm-hmm. and he works extra shifts and he sort of gets extra money off his, you know, goes to his boss to sponsor his son and does all these things, does everything he can to propel Capetta's racing career. Um, and the reason that resonates for me, because my second hobby after anime is motorsports. Um, I'm oh, wow. a really, really big petrol head. Um, <laughs> road cars, kind of, I can get a bit excited about Ferrari, but racing cars, I really, really, um, I'm really into. Um, and George, that is a bug that George definitely has picked up from me. Um, and he's always been into cars and driving. Um, and, and we race carts together. So George, I'm his mechanic and George drives um cool you know we've been doing that for about four years now and um the the struggles you know it's a very expensive hobby you know there's no there's absolutely no no two ways about it you can't do it on the cheap you know you have to spend money to do it Mm -hmm. and watching shigio's struggles as a as an independent you know dad and lad team you know is what we are you know i george and i compete against kids who are racing spending a lot more money and they're you know they're running mm. with teams and everything else and it and it really resonated with me his struggle um and the stuff what he does um you know and i sometimes the stuff that i give up that i want so that i can spend more money on his karting because you know ultimately george wants to be a racing driver um so that you know that was something that i could you know 100 percent identify with um and and you know his struggle and and every uh, Shigio's struggle with that, um, you know, was really good. And you know, and he's, you know, he's a good dad because he wants the best. You know, he kind of feels a bit guilty that you know that there's no mum around for him, especially when he sees his friends who have mothers who are doing mm-hmm. those things. And he's trying to do the best best for Capetta. So, uh, you know, I think that's for me that was a really good example of um, of good fatherhood in anime. I really want to see Capetta. I've I've always been interested in it, and I have the fan sub. I just never gotten around to seeing it. Yeah, it's um, I'd say it's an okay show. The animation's terrible, um, <laughs> and it's um, I mean it is. There's no there's no two ways about it. It's the animation <laughs> is terrible in it, um, and sometimes there's lots of little arcs as they go through each bit of his career, and they mm-hmm. tend to they 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 tend to drag on a little bit, but the the underlying story in it I think is lovely. Yeah, it's just a really, really nice 
sort of family story in it. So I, I do recommend seeing it if if you're interested in seeing it. It's it's worth seeing. Mm-hmm. The first example of a uh, good father in anime that always like pops into my head is uh, Mamoru's father in Galgaigar. Oh yes, which yeah. which I think like maybe a bit of an unconventional example, you know, because that show is like the family dynamic is not a huge part of the show in terms of screen time. Of course, it's all about the, the robots and yeah. the aliens and the battles and everything. But I mean, just kind of thinking as I've, I've seen the show several times and just each time I watched it, uh, I was kind of more struck by the fact that, you know, basically, right from the off like the these this couple takes in this baby like a giant robot lion descends and drops a baby off at their feet (laughs) and they just are like okay sure we will do this and i think you know in those situations you can have (laughs) it would be natural for some like if if one's wife was like yes we'll take this baby we will do it perhaps some uh, men out there would be like more reluctant about it, uh-huh. but he very much embraced Mamoru as his own. Like kid never knew yeah. he was okay. adopted until yeah. a long, uh, a long time later. And there are just all these great examples throughout the show of both parents being really supportive of him. Yeah. Yeah. And like there could have been, you know, a time or two when they, they were were not as supportive, were not uh, wanting him to risk as much or branch out in the ways that he begins to branch out and grow and uh, kind of start to live his own life. But just over and over again, he receives loving support uh-huh. from them. Yeah. And it always, especially in the later episodes when – when everyone kind of knows the truth about Mamoru's origin and the stakes are very high, yeah, yeah. Um, they are still totally on board with with him and what he wants to do. And that that always, um, it, every time I, I saw it, uh, left an impression on me just because, like, so my own father passed away when I was very young. Oh, so, I'm sorry to hear that. Thank you. And so I uh, I had a stepfather, but he was quite distant. Um, we'll talk about distant fathers in a moment. Yeah. But I guess just thinking about what I would have liked and the kind of support I would have liked to have had, mm-hmm. that uh, example jumps out at me. Yeah, yeah. It's always interesting when there's something you see something like that, like I say with Capetta, that just you know it just resonates with you, you know, mm-hmm. and you can just you you can completely um, you know, you completely put yourself in in those shoes. You know, you completely understand the the emotion and and where everything's going um, or where the emotion's coming from. So I think that then brings us on to um, bad fathers in anime. Um, mm-hmm. And I think I think you have to absolutely start with Gendo Ikari. I mean, yes, he's leading the clubhouse <laughs> in this one for sure. He absolutely is. I think he is everything that is bad about being a father in. As a, or as a portrayal of fatherhood in in anime, um, I think he is the absolute worst. Terrible, <laughs> absolute, just memorably bad. He is just for... memorably bad, and you know, I mean, there's just various things in it. Um, 
I always remember there's there's one scene in near the beginning. It might even be in the very first episode. There's a bit where Sinji's with Masato and they're in a, they're in a, um, a lift, and the lift stops and the doors open and there's Gendo, and they just stare and he's just staring at him through his glasses or over his glasses, and they don't say anything to each other and the doors close, and then the lift carries on, and um, he goes, "Oh, that was yeah. my father," or you know, and just just that complete coldness, you know. Stone yeah. cold heartedness from Gendo to Shinji. I know he's a whiny brat, but you know, it's just I mean it's just barbaric. It it really is barbaric. Goes beyond neglectful to like antagonistic. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it is an antagonistic. You know, and when um you know, when Shinji first pilots it and, and it, you know, he's just belittling him and berating him and putting him down constantly you know no wonder he's got no self-esteem when you've got yeah a father like that just being a shit to you constantly totally Um, and and this is for for those out there who haven't seen neon genesis evangelion this is a bit different than like one thing we don't have included here is when father and son are kind of on different sides of like a war or conflict and that they i think they've in those types of relationships, while they're difficult, they both kind of understand. All right, we're we're yeah. fighting against each other despite our parental and uh, our our bond as parent and child. And but in the case of Shinji and Gendo Akari, they work in the same place. They're meant to be on the same side. Yeah. But um, Gendo is just, as you say, like it, it's barbaric how cold uh he just vacillates between being just cold and indifferent uh, to like angry and yeah. hateful yeah <laughs> to his I've, own well, son it's almost just resentful isn't it yeah he is he's just he just resents sinji um he does you know and you know he puts all his effort into a clone of his dead wife um yeah you know and and then tries to get sinji to um you know have an incestuous relationship with her you know, and Sinji doesn't know who his mum is, so he doesn't realise that Ray is is this clone of his. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's just messed up. It is all I mean, kinds of fucked up. It is all kinds <laughs> of fucked up that relationship, you know. And um, I mean, I've seen I've seen the original Evangelion TV series quite a few times. I mean, I do, mm-hmm. despite despite its ending, I've I, I've come to accept the ending of it um, now. But um, I love the ending of the TV show unequivocally love it so we can talk about this in another podcast we can talk about that another that is another podcast to it's talk its about that. that's its own that is its own can of words and we'll put the lid back on that can yes. right now um but um but you know throughout every time i watch it you know and just watch that relationship or lack of um yeah. you know it's just one of the things why i think evangelion has a really good really strong cast of characters and the characterization is really good and you know the way people like Misato um you know sit in between or on the edge of that relationship um yeah you know I think it's I think it's brilliant 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 characterization um how strange must it be for her to look at it from the outside in mm. you know the father 
parent and child postured in that way toward each other, behaving in that way toward yeah. each other. It's you just know, weird. It, you know, and you know, again, you know, Gendo's trying to save humanity, sort of thing. You know, but he just he just sees Sinji, you know, just as a tool. It's like you need, you know, you're one of the chosen children. You need to pilot the, the Evas, you know. And it's, you know, that's he's just he's just a means to an end. That's all he is to to Gendo. Um, and it's just and there's just there's no lit up in it. And that's one of the things I really like about it. It's mm-hmm. kind of the um, the writing is quite true to itself. Um, yes. In that it, that it, that it's constant. You know, there's no happy ending or we go soft on him or anything like that. It's just this relentless resentment and sort of hatred everything towards from from gendo to to shinji and i think it's and that's one of the things that really despite it's got cool robots and looks great and you know it's got great battle sequences that characterization is just fantastic mm-hmm. um, and you can understand why it became such a landmark series um when it came out originally because it was it, you know it, it did everything so well but I, totally. again i don't I mean, in all the anime that I'd seen, not in sort of time scale of when I watched Evangelion, but having watched all the anime that came before it, you know, especially all the robot stuff that I'd seen, to then see Evangelion, and it's like, yeah, it's, you know, it really is a, a milestone in in, in uh, anime writing, I think. Totally. Um, and it, it changed the game in so many different ways. Um, but it's, it's Shinji and Gendo that did that, that drove that, I mm. think. So another... Um, Another mecha show that um, tends to have uh, very poor portrayals of uh, of uh, fatherhood in anime is um, the good old Tomino's Gundam series. Um, yes. So certainly, certainly in the original um, Mobile Suit Gundam TV series, Tem Ray, who is Amaru Ray's father, um, mm-hmm. you know Amaru when we when we meet him, he's living on. Um, side seven on his own there's no sort of parents about and then he goes off and pilots the Gundam and joins the white base and then further down the road he goes back to side seven and um, he meets his father who kind of ignores him and all he's interested in is giving him new bits for the Gundam doesn't doesn't care that he's been fighting a, a, a you know a solar war yeah for, uh, um, for the last uh, few weeks or whatever, it's you know, and I think you know, I think that portrayal, Amaru's sort of sadness and disbelief that his father's like that, <coughs> sort of mm-hmm. uninterested in in him. Um, I think that's a really good, a really good episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is, and he did he come off to you? Uh, and okay, so full disclosure, I've not seen the TV series all the way through for first Gundam. I have seen the compilation films. Yeah. So it's the same. And it's the same. bit. Is it the basically. same? Okay. Cause yeah. he, he struck me as a little kind of unhinged. Yeah. Mr. Ray. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> Amaro is of course, understandably sad, like that he's kind of been abandoned. Yeah. But, but at the same time, he sort of felt. Did you get the sense he felt pity for him? Yes, his at father. the same time, because he's in. He sees Tem walking, coming off a bus or something like that. I seem to remember, and he 
he sort of chases and calls after him, and they gets back to the junkyard where his dad's living. Um, and it's like, oh, Amaro, you're here. Oh, how's it going? In the, you know, it's like, how's the Gundam? You know, it's not, how are you? Where have you been? Are you all right? It's, how's the Gundam? You know, that, that's all he's interested in. And then, yeah. And then he's like, when gives they were... him this box of bits. And then at the end, he's like, yeah, like I said, I think he pities him in the end. I think he's absolutely right. I mean, when when they first got separated... I mean, Amuro wasn't even a soldier at that point, yeah. if I recall correctly. Yeah. And then his dad sees him in a military uniform, and it just nothing. Yeah. He just doesn't even think about asking or anything. It's un- kind of unbelievable. Yeah. That he's so detached. It's, uh, yeah, it's just it's completely indifferent to him. Completely indifferent to him. And I seem to remember, like Amaru says something about like he's got space dementia or something like that, and kind of pities him. Oh it's, right. You know, but it's. Yeah, he's just he's like just he's just indifferent to him, just doesn't recognise him. It's just oh it's almost just like he's another person, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's very sad. It is very sad. And he's had, and he had a tough time with his mum as well, didn't he, on when they went to the because um, she was in the in the hospital. So he's had a tough Oh yes. He had a tough yes. time with his mum, then he sees his dad and his dad's indifferent to him and, and more interested in the Gundam than him, you know. And I it's uh, you do feel for Amaru, right? In that, you totally. I mean, yeah. it's certainly like his faults seem a lot more forgivable in exactly. light of all that. And then, and then in in Zeta Gundam as well, Camille has you know has these again. Oh, it's boy. the same sort of thing. Has these cold parents. I mean, they both get their comeuppance in the end, um, in that in that show. But again, he's this sort of lonely, left to his own devices kid mm-hmm. um, with parents who are selfish and and off doing their own their own thing you know uh, yeah they were they struck me as much less pitiable they were much uh, less pitiable don't, yeah don't they sell him out at Basically, one point yeah oh yeah they both just do. horrible because then and then his mum gets she, she's stuck in a capsule by the titans yeah i think and gets blown up by zeal i can't remember who kills her but i remember she's stuck out in a capsule and he's watching and then Whoever the enemy they're, whichever enemy they're facing off is, shoots the caps. It get, there's like a firefight starts off, and she gets destroyed right in front of his eyes. And then his dad, a few episodes before or after, meets a similar fate, like right in front of him. So, you know, he's been, he's kind of been shat on and sort of missed or neglected, really. And then he's forced mm-hmm. to watch them die right in front of him. So, uh, oh. yeah, he's another tough one. Did, another uh... very very tough one for. Uh, for a, for a Gundam pilot, and then totally. then to make up for it, you have Bright Noah who um bright slaps yes. them um in in <laughs> in the absence of their of their uh, natural fathers. <laughs> yeah, he is kind of a a surrogate father in some ways to to Amuro. I mean, I think and I think he does through through the original TV series through Zeta and Double Zeta. You know, I think Bright Noah acts as you know to to Amaru, Camu, and uh, Judo. You know, he mm-hmm. acts as that surrogate father figure to, um, to to all three of those boys, really, doesn't he? Yeah. You know. Yeah. There's unfortunately like a like a dearth of reliable people yeah. in that universe. There is. Yeah. It's kind of what makes it interesting, really, isn't it? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. <laughs> you know, but it's another it's another great depiction of just bad fathering in anime. I think. Uh, yeah. Um, to tackle that from a different, a slightly different angle, 
um have you seen uh Furi Kuri before no i've not i've never got around to seeing that it is on my uh to watch list but i've never seen it okay i'm it's one of those i'm not 100 percent sure not not like um having a super good grasp of your taste outside of the science fiction stuff uh i don't know if you like if it would speak to you or not but um certainly visually it's an interesting piece um but the the father of the main character in that i think can be considered a pretty bad dad i really because well because he kind of hasn't really grown up right like okay. totally different than um than the father's uh like Sumugi's dad in Sweetness and Lightning that we were talking about who is kind of working to take care of the kid oh Um, okay the the father in Furikuri seems to be quite a stunted guy right and so much so that like he's even interested in the same girl that his son is (laughs) Um, yeah and kind of makes life difficult for him yeah in so many ways and and I just think that yeah in in it's something that i think is probably is pretty common like not probably definitely i think more common over here yeah in our culture and like i just feel it is totally it's like the responsibility of parents to grow the fuck up so that your kid doesn't have to yeah yeah and so that they can experience all the like good and natural benefits of being yeah a kid yeah you know yeah, it's um, it's it's been something I've been meaning to watch for years, and I've just never got around to it. There's there's a Blu-ray available in the UK. I just I just need to go and buy it and watch it one day. It's uh, that sounds interesting. I'll definitely uh, definitely watch it for uh, that perspective now as well. Yeah, the he's you know like many of the dads we're talking about, except for Gendo, uh, <laughs> doesn't really play too much like in terms yeah, of screen the, time. His yeah. slice of the pie is not very yeah. big, but um. But I felt it was significant. I mean, I feel like after you become a dad, you sort of you see all the dads in yeah, media you do. You, under you can, much brighter spotlight. You do start to empathise with them, don't you? You can see, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, my own experience as a as a dad. You know, I can remember being a kid, and there's situations now that I can remember with the um, dynamic of me being the kid, and obviously with my dad, and there's things that have happened with all three of my kids that I can, it's a situation. It's like, God, I can remember this, ha- this situation, almost this conversation, you know, I can remember this, ha- me doing this as a kid and I can understand mm-hmm. how my dad must've felt. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's funny when, let's like, say, as you come a dad, you start to, it opens your eyes up to, uh, to, to these situations or the, you know, the other, the other perspective or the other view of these situations where, You've only seen them as as the kids relating to a parent. You're the parent relating to a kid now. So, as well, we're on the bad fathers. I think I've got I've got what I would call a questionable father. Okay. Um, and that would be um, uh, Genma uh, Saotomi from um, Ranma Half. Okay. Uh, I've seen the Ranma movies and I've seen most of the first series. I haven't mm-hmm. seen much more of it than that, but um. He uh, he seems to be uh, a pretty bad. He, you know, he 
pushes his <laughs> son into the lake, into the uh, spring that causes him to become a girl. Um, you know, and he just does loads of things that kind of. I think he does them with his heart in the right place, but he just ends up stitching his son up all the time. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So. Totally, yeah. Is he a good dad? Is he a bad dad? I think it's just uh, he's he's a questionable dad. <laughs> You know, so, and it's uh, it's um it I find it hard to judge uh sometimes these things in comedies, even though I'd brought up Furikuri, which is you yeah. know it being a coming of age story, it's still very largely comedic. Yeah. Uh like but in like Genma's case, sometimes I just wonder like how much of what his behavior is is the character and how much of it is play like, for laughs, yeah. Yes, yes, that is sort of, like, unnaturally so. Like, yeah. the character pushed to 11 so that, you know, you yeah. create comedic situations. situations. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, but it's, uh, yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying there. Like I say, he's questionable. Mm-hmm. He's a questionable one. Um, and then finally, the, the final category I had was um, Distant Fathers, um, which I think... In the same way as the salary man portrayal that we talked about um, earlier on, the distant thing seems to be a recurring theme in anime. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I agree. You know, and you said this is something that you, you know, this is something you can relate to. Yeah, I can. I can very much. But um, it's funny the the dads that I thought of first uh, in this category aren't necessarily ones that personally relate to me mm-hmm. um but they just uh they just still stuck out yeah uh the first one is from a show that's actually from this year um it's called scum's wish okay. and it is a show about teenagers and kind of like love and sexual discovery oh, okay um, and the striking thing to me about it is there's all kinds of really complicated emotional relationships happening. Yeah. Uh, and oftentimes we see these kids at home, but there's just no, there's no parents around. Oh, uh, right. Okay. No, like you'd never see a parent and it's hard to know. <laughs> I think, well, I don't know. I'm not sure if the the authors are trying to like make a statement, yeah, uh, about it, or if it's just a something that they thought would inconvenience the rest of the things that they wanted to to do. But man, it's so. I mean, just the things that are happening. You just you just want the parents of these kids to uh-huh. like step in and <laughs> shield yeah. them and take care of them because. Uh, they're being like their hearts are breaking. They're being manipulated. They're venturing out into some really difficult emotional waters, all kind of on their own. And uh, it's hard to see. And, and man, parents sure would help in that situation. Yeah, yeah. Because for me, the um, the most the recent example of this for me is um, Napping Princess. Um, okay. I went to see that at the cinema. Of- I don't know, four weeks ago, it did a did a UK cinema run for one night, um, and that portrayal, you know, the girl whose name escapes me, but um, you know, she lives in this kind of dream world, and her dad, you know, again, her, 
it's a usually similar story. Mum's passed away. Dad's looking after her. Um, and he just buries himself in his work at the garage and everything. And she's kind of left on her own to her own devices. Um, mm-hmm. And she creates this dream world. Um, but that, again, of the dad just emotionally just separate, you know, cocooning himself, really, um, from from the family and his responsibilities to his uh, children um, mm. is quite a common a common portrayal. And that, that distant relationship, um, I, I find, is, is I say, it's, it's a very reoccurring theme in, in, in anime. Is it? Do, do you find yourself feeling sympathy for them or do you just get angry? In most patrols I've seen that. I think it always, I think it always drives a, a sympathetic emotion. It, the, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, how it's portrayed on screen is driving for the sympathy um, more than a, more than a sort of um, angry response to it. I think you get, I think often you get my, again, my view as, as a father in that situation, I think it's, it's um it's not necessarily anger but you get more frustrated that mm-hmm. you know that they're not you know you should you know the child's the one that's you know you're suffering it's your partner or wife that's that's died you know um and you've known them longer than you've known your child but they're this they're your responsibility and you know you should be putting them them first really you know and when when you see that portrayal mm-hmm. Um, of them and they're dissing themselves and really being very selfish and not and putting themselves themselves first before really the the emotional sort of stability or support that the children needs yeah that that i, I always find it's it, i'm sympathetic but i find it frustrating as well because it's like no come on you need to you need to support your children totally yes and i'd be curious to know what you thought of uh one of the main characters from the film, Miss Hokusai. Um, one of the main characters is a is a father, and that the titular Hokusai, like the yeah. famous Japanese artist. Yeah. And then his he has two daughters, and the the oldest daughter is the main character of the film. Okay. Um, she, she's in her like early twenties, say, and she's coming into her own as an artist, and the father has a pretty good i mean not amazing yeah. but a a relationship with her that they're both happy with yeah and yeah. he kind of mentors her as an artist a little bit and and he's not a very sort of warm man uh, but okay but because he can um that they can relate and bond through art oh, now okay. so then now his second i'm sorry go ahead. Oh, no no go ahead sorry Oh, his second child, second daughter, was born blind. And as such, she cannot engage in painting. Right. And so he has no way to relate to her. Mm -hmm. And in addition to that, he, he feels extremely guilty he thinks he's responsible for her ailment. Like he, he believes, I think, so he's a very sort of spiritual person and, and he thinks that all the insight and perception, uh, the unique perception and ability to, to see the world and paint it, uh, that he got 
he thinks that that is directly like it correlates and he's responsible for his daughter being born blind. Right. So okay. it's not only that he can't sort of bond and relate to her, but like she, she makes him feel guilty and ashamed when he yeah, sees her. And yeah. so he, and so he basically has ignored her. She's only about nine years old and uh, is often staying in a Buddhist temple because she's sick. Right. And, you know, there will be there's very powerful scene in which the older daughter is carrying the younger daughter on her back and the father is walking the opposite direction uh on the a, like a street right across mm -hmm. from them and the older daughter talks to the younger daughter but is really talking to the father saying maybe we should go to dad's place he might be there he might want to see you and the dad just kind of you know, doesn't say anything, hurries along. And the poor little girl feels it, it just has some, some self-worth problems. Yeah. And almost you know, like believe, ostracized. Yes. Believe she's not good. Uh, very much says all the time. She thinks she's going to hell. Yeah. Uh, in the movie things. And then, so on the one hand, you know, you have this father who is a pretty fascinating person mm -hmm. um but man you just want to i just wanted to grab him by the collar you know yeah. and say look i know you have these emotional problems but you should think about her your daughter first yeah and make her to the little time that she has on this, this earth because you know she was sick and yeah, yeah. um and whatnot like make that like it like enrich that time yeah you know, that should be your first priority. And I guess, you know, and I can't talk from experience um, for this, but, you know, I imagine as a parent, if, you know, if your child was born with some, I, I imagine there's there's bound to be some natural guilt mm. in in you for, um, you know, no child um, asks to be born. You know, the, the parents make yeah. the decision to, to produce a child. So if you make that, you, you do that, and then that child is suffering or, you know, is going to have a difficult life or whatever. There's, you know, I can imagine that there were, you you would naturally feel guilty about that, and I imagine that drives a lot of difficult emotions in in people as as well. So, um, mm -hmm. but at the same time, you know, what we were saying about in these situations, they are still just a child, and the parents should yeah. be supporting and doing what's best for the child. You know, again, if you take that responsibility and. And, you know, in the way you're describing that, you know, it's it's a it's a frustration as a parent, you know, because you're yes. like, you should be doing this. Why are you doing that? Yeah. I mean, if you wouldn't it, like my frustration with him is that <laughs> he's just he's just very self-involved. And there are other ways to relate to people yeah. than through kind of your own passion. Yeah. But he's just so deep into it. Yeah. You know. Like when his older daughter, I'm talking a lot about this movie because I just saw it and it made a big impact on me. <laughs> but there's the scene when his, uh, it's a flashback when his oldest daughter is young and trying to engage and play with him. And she's like throwing snowballs at him and he's just getting irritated. And finally, because he's trying to like draw a tree, he grabs the daughter plunks her down beside him, sticks paper and a brush in her hand and shows her how to draw. And then they sit there and draw together. And it's a really tender and nice moment and, and sort of funny. Uh, but again, it's just that like way of um, 
I just feel like they're just he's just putting himself first and again self involved. Yeah. And that and he and he can't parent his other daughter that way, even though she's lovely and intelligent and uh it enjoys bridges and music, you know, yeah. it's like but he doesn't know that. Yeah, and that's and I see that with you know, I see that with my own peer group and friends and stuff. I know some um who have really strong uh, you know, certain hobbies and then they're completely different to them and they they don't know how to relate to their own children. Um, mm. You know, I, I, I've seen that. I've seen that firsthand. So uh, that takes a bit of extra effort as a parent to still be able to relate to your children. It does. And I don't want to sound too high and mighty, I guess. I mean, I know circumstances are different and people are different and, and life can be difficult. Mm. But it is just something I feel I feel strongly about. Yeah, you know, sure. If, if my kids turn their back on anime, so be it. Yeah. You know, I'll I mean, still I, be there for them. you know, I've never pushed anime on in any of my, you know, it's my hobby, not theirs. And if they mm -hmm. choose to to enjoy it with me and and like it, then then so be it. If they don't, you know, likewise, so be it. It's you know, they have their own lives, their own interests, and you know, you just support them, you know, whatever whatever they want to do with themselves and and whatever they get interested yeah. in. So, uh, Part of what you signed up for, I think. It is absolutely right. Absolutely right. So yeah, so um, I haven't got any more um, examples of fatherhood. Uh, I think that I think that wraps up my uh, my summation of the world of fatherhood in or the depiction of fatherhood <laughs> in anime. I think. Yeah, you know there might be a few types that slip through the cracks, but broadly speaking, I think we covered a large swath of yes I of anime fathers with this typology. Yeah. I, I think so as well. I think that's I think that's a pretty broad broad spectrum of um of uh, examples in in what we've discussed. Absolutely. For sure. Well, um, well, Ian, for the folks listening at home, uh, why don't you plug your own pod and and talk about where they can uh, find that so that they can uh, be cool people who listen to good <laughs> podcasts. Thank you. Okay, so uh, yes, my podcast is the Retro Anime Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Retro Anime. I have a um, not very good website at the moment, which is uh, <laughs> www.retroanimepodcast.com. I'm in the process of uh, beefing that up. Um, you can find the podcast itself on Podomatic, Stitcher and iTunes. Just search for Retro Anime Podcast. And for any of you who go on forums, I'm on the Anime UK news forums. My username is Organ. So that's where you can find me and my podcast. Very good. How did you how did you get the name at Retro Anime? How has that not been taken already? Because I, I took it because I've, I've had the idea for a very long time. It just took a long <laughs> time for me to actually get it. Um, I've actually had yeah. the handle probably for about seven years, which is why wow. I've got it. The majority of the life of twitter <laughs> yes i i i had the idea because um some friends of mine the guys i talked about um, when i got into akira the the uh richard orty and his older brother dan who i went to school with and another guy ben howard um they they do a podcast called the monday movie podcast um they've actually uh, started a new one a few years ago called string punk now i caught up with them years ago um and it's when the whole podcasting thing was kind of getting going and I like the idea of, of doing so, yeah, a long time ago, I went in and took the 
took the uh, handle Retro Anime with the idea of I was going to do this podcast at some point. Uh, it, it actually, in the end, took me. I had a lot of full starts with getting it off the ground. Um, oh, yeah. A lot of full starts. But um, eventually I kind of got the right things in place with with Lewis. Because um, I, I, initially I didn't have the idea with Lewis. It was as it as the idea sort of germinated. And I tried a few things and... And it was you know, they weren't quite going to work, or I got uh, lit down with other people's commitments. And then the idea with with Lewis sort of um, sort of hit me one day, um, mm-hmm. and I said, well, actually, you know, this thing I've been talking about, it's you know, do you want to do it? And um, this is how we do it, you know, with my view and your view. And Lewis was like really up for it. Um, and then that, and then it sort of built from there. And you know, last year we finally we finally recorded and and got it out there. So um, yeah, so. That's how I've managed to get the handle at Retro Anime. <laughs> I was just awesome. I was there first a long time yes. ago. <laughs> Squatting on it for years. Yeah. Um and yeah, if you guys are interested in, you know, older anime from Battle Angel Alita to Angel's Egg, Street Fighter, yeah. uh Space Runaway Idion is on the newest episode. Yeah. Um check out the Retro Anime podcast. It's it's a good listen. And they cover some some really cool shows. A couple of them, like I don't know if I've ever heard anybody podcast on Aryan before, for instance. Yeah, um, see, I I wanted to talk about that because that was you know I really liked that film, and it just doesn't seem to have much um, much um, visibility in the West, you know, which is uh, mm-hmm. which is why I'm recording. You know, we we have we came up with the tagline, the classic, the obscure, the forgotten, for the for the <laughs> podcast because. It, that's what you know that's what we wanted to try and we we wanted to try and get that mix you know because there's a lot of there's a lot of classic retro anime you know there's a lot of obscure stuff i mean we covered goddamn and salamander which were, were two very obscure <laughs> um ovas you know and they were just mm-hmm. i mean it was just like well no one's ever talking about these so let's talk about <laughs> them you know and then there's the forgotten yeah. you know and and likewise you know things like in our first episode, the Odin, Photon, Space Sailor, Starlight and Lensman, um, I think were quite big titles 20 years ago, but are now well and truly mm-hmm. forgotten, I think, by the, the, the anime community at large. Um, so, uh, yeah, you know, we wanted we wanted to get that kind of broad um, spectrum of, of anime to, to review. Well, like I said, please check out Ian's show. Uh, it's It's excellent. And if you liked this show and want to hear more of me talking to you know Vorgalia, Shadon, even uh my wife on the companion piece episodes <laughs> subscribe to Warui Desho W-A-R-U-I-D-E-S-H-O-U it's Japanese for it's probably bad which is not true because it's definitely bad you can find us on iTunes SoundCloud podcatchers everywhere Thanks so much for doing this with me, and it was a ton of fun. Yeah, absolute pleasure, absolute pleasure, Doc. I've really, really enjoyed it. It's been uh, been a really, really good discussion. So uh, thank you very much for uh, for having me on. Oh, anytime, anytime, and uh, yeah, likewise, and let's hopefully make it uh, the first of more discussions. Absolutely, absolutely, I very much look forward to that. And uh, everyone out there, remember, embrace each other, everyone, to the ends of the universe. Yeah.